bees in his library? Confound it, madam, my language is most controlled. I say we take off and nuke the entire scythe for It's the only way to be sure. In a thousand years, Gandahar was destroyed. A thousand years ago, Gandahar will be saved. The spice extends life. Silent breed is people! Welcome, listener, to StarCrashed in the year 2023. Uh, beginning things with a little bit of a change, we are going to try out a theme for the next upcoming uh, for the next upcoming six episodes, and that theme is disaster films. Uh, a very well uh, used theme, I'd say, in Hollywood, <laughs> especially, and uh, one that I think we've both seen a few of. How do you feel, first and foremost, Linnea, about 2023 and the upcoming theme? Oh, it feels good. It feels good. It's it's nice that I think um, we're trying something new for the podcast. Uh, you know, sort of experimenting a little bit with the format, making sure that things doesn't go stale, so to speak. Uh, hmm. And I especially like that we're trying out disaster films because I've been lately really in the mood for disaster films so uh, i think we're gonna gonna pick up or pick off a, a few from my watch list here including mm. the one we're talking about today so that's uh, very good to yes get the uh, numbers down on that list because that's a long list <laughs> <laughs> disastrously long <laughs> yes oh, yes no. And so it begins. <laughs> no, but I can I can only agree. I think uh, disaster films are uh, a f- f- good place to start off. I feel like because there <laughs> is so much variation, a lot to choose from, while still mm. following pretty much the same recipe in, in some ways. Maybe we'll go back to that and change our opinion. But but um, I am looking forward to the films that we've picked up, and I am excited about talking about this episode's uh, focus, which is uh, The Hindenburg from 1975, directed by Robert Weiss. And in this film we have stars such as Anne Bancroft, which was, I believe, my first film with her in it that I've seen, I think at least. Uh, how about you? I, I mean, I know her name since before, but I can't yeah. actually, on the top of my head, think of any other movies I've seen her in. But yeah, it's possible I've seen some. It's I've seen a lot of movies, so I forget yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Your paths have crossed. <laughs> So the Hindenburg is based on the historical event uh, in 1937 when a airship uh, exploded or uh, an, an accident or whatever, which is one of the plot points, whatever happened that made it uh, violently go up in flames and, and cr- crash basically minutes before it was landing. So it's very tragic and a lot of people died. And this is a um, dramatization of that Um I should say mean? it's it's a dramatization of one of the theories for what happened. Yes. Not Thank necessarily that, the yeah. most likely theory, perhaps, but we'll no. get more into that later. We, we will get into that. <laughs> I, I do have some questions uh, and I do have some um, 
thoughts about doing yes. something like this. Uh, would you like to go over maybe the characters and a little bit of the plot, the plot initially, like uh, up until we get to the, to the crashing point? <laughs> Who are our characters? <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> Why are they there flying were... a massive balloon? <laughs> there were characters in this movie? I didn't notice. <laughs> right? So weird. That's a first. <laughs> um, so the, the, the one character that is sort of central one is Colonel Franz Ritter. He is sent on board the ship as a quote-unquote security officer or something like that because they have received letters of oh there's a bomb on board and or you know the, the ship is going to blow up etc etc and they so, some people Sort of said, oh no no, no that's that's nonsense. That's not gonna happen. Mm. Some people say, yes, there might be some you know resistant movement there that want to blow up the ship. So let's put a security officer on board. So yeah. that's Franz Ritter, uh, played by George Scott, uh, fairly decent actor, I guess. It's not the most interesting character. He doesn't have a lot to work with, but oh. he 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 goes on board and he. Does a pretty good job, I think. He's very sort of he pays attention to details and mm. he does sort of figure out that oh these people are are maybe smuggling some things. These people are cheating at poker, etc. You know all the sort of the the, the naughty secrets of the passengers. Yes. You know he figures them out and he does figure out that there is a guy on board who is anti-Nazi and he wants to blow up the ship but he doesn't want anyone to die so he he's gonna blow up the ship after mm. people have um how do you say it? dropped off or uh, stepped yeah, off, the, off the ship yeah yes um so and and, and franz ritter you know, <laughs> this is also a very strange thing Pretty much all these characters are German or supposed to be German. Uh, yeah. None of them speak with German accents, and no. it's very strange. And I was sort of really confused because I was like, "But this character is a Nazi, but why? It's why? <laughs> it's not really portrayed." Yes, and I'd like, like to the evil Nazi thing. But piggyback yeah. <laughs> or comment on that because I do think so. It's an American film, so of course they're going to speak English. But the, yes. the problem is that so many. Um, I feel like American names usually have various European last names. So for someone uh, like myself, it was a bit difficult sometimes. Just I had to remind myself, oh yeah, that his name was Douglas and he's an American. I I I, I couldn't remember that. And also some people looked kind of similar as well. So it was a bit yes. hard to... I, I wouldn't... I think if they would have had... Um, German accents, I probably would have been a bit put off by that also. So I'm not sure what would be the best solution. Probably, I mean, probably doing it in Germany or German, but but I mean, that's not the situation we're dealing with here. So I don't know what would be the best solution, but it it, it did make things just a tiny bit confusing. Yes. I mean, we are kind of used to in films, as I mean, by now it's sort of, almost established as, as a cinematic language that yeah. the evil Nazis speak with a German accent. You know, that's yeah. sort of, that's that's the shortcut you take. You know, oh, yeah. he's German, he's a Nazi. Uh, <laughs> at, le- at least for films that take place during this time period. Mm. So, 
to have none of these characters speak with a German accent is really confusing and really sort of makes you go, oh, this Franz Ritter guy, he's kind of nice, but he's also a Nazi. So I don't know how to feel about that. And it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's confusing. Yeah. But that's also like an interesting layer to it, I think, because it does, like when you sort of have the accent be a shortcut for someone being interpreted as Nazi and therefore inherently True. like 100% evil I think this humanizes people like they these are complicated people uh, some of them are more or less convinced of the side that they're on uh, <laughs> and, and and others really you know they're just trying to get by basically so I, mm. I think I think it makes you sympathize more than seeing all these people like caricatures even though they say things that are um, offensive or really makes you go Ooh, because you know that they are nazis so mm. um in in that regard i i think it's a good choice to not have american people sort of put on a, a german accent <laughs> sure sure in, in yes. this instance yeah <laughs> but the whole story sort of comes to the the climax because mm. we have another character on board called martin vogel yeah. Uh, I think he was supposed to be Gestapo, if I'm pretty sure. Not Spy yeah. Gestapo. Exactly. He's there to used. sort of both help Franz Ritter, but also sort of keep an eye on Franz Ritter. So yeah. it's it's that very sort of they they have to sort of really balance what they say mm. to each other. You know, yeah. They can they do sort of help each other, but they are also prepared to backstab each other. Essentially, it's also like they <laughs> they they both kind of hate their own departments. Got is what the yeah, feeling that I yeah. got. Uh, <laughs> and that was funny is the wrong word, but it was it made it interesting. The the, the sure the, yes the sort of dialogues and things that they had going yeah exactly. the tension yeah. that there and the implication at least as I interpreted it is that. Franz Ritter, even though he has worked for the Nazis and he is working for the Nazis, he's not fully sympathetic to their cause. So when no. he does talk to this uh, resistance resistance uh, fighter, if you if you like, Carl Berth, 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 Carl Berth, Berth, yeah, something like that, um, who who wants to blow up the ship, he does kind of agree to help him. On the terms that no one's actually going to get hurt. It's just the ship that's going to blow up. Uh, and and he does keep this from Martin Vogel. So, you know, yeah. that that's the big secret, essentially. But Martin Vogel does figure it out. And he goes yeah. after Carl Burroughs and, and sort of essentially tortures him. Yeah. Um, but this happens at the same time as the ship gets delayed mm. due to weather and... All sorts of, of circumstances, which yes. is true to the actual events. It was mm. delayed when it when it uh, was originally landed. Um, but as a result, you know, uh, Boerth has set this bomb on a timer. And because the ship is delayed, now they need to go change that time. And Boerth being pretty much out of it because he's been tortured, yeah. you know, that leaves it to Franz Ritter. But... Eventually, he's also too late and he yeah. sort of gets distracted in the end when he's trying to fix this. So it does end up blowing up as yeah. we know what's, what's going to happen because, yeah, this is based on true events. But it's 
Um, it is a very dramatic end. I mean, whatever other flaws I think we can say that the movie have, the ending is dramatic and it's tragic and it's sad yeah. and it's just very emotional. So, yeah. yeah. It, the, the lead up to that maybe leaves some things to, desire, to be desired, but the, the, the actual climax is very good. Yeah, definitely. And and I would just like to spend a little bit of time there with with um, Ritter discovering that Colbert has a, a bomb planted somewhere. But birth, as far as I... Because I was... I think it would take a, a lot for someone, even though they're not convinced of the political organization that you're part of, mm. uh, or military organization that you're part of, to agree to have a bomb explode when you're dealing with a hydrogen airship. Mm. And I was like, mm, this feels weird. <laughs> but what what happens, if I remember correctly now, also in that scene, is that Berth basically says, like, he won't say where he keeps the bomb. Mm. And he will um, make it ex- explode, basically. And I feel like Ritter... Uh, at one point he mentions that oh this is someone that I would send for a mission like that because he's headstrong brave and everything like that so I think Ritter has sort of figured out that birth will not yield under torture Mm. that that technique will not work in this instance the only thing he can do is sort of decide when will the bomb explode and that's why birth is kept saying tell me a time tell me a time and Mm. I feel like well how about um, you know, um, adding a few hours maybe on that time, but that but whatever. Idea, you, yes. <laughs> you want to cut it close? That's up to you. But but I feel like that is also a part like why Richter agrees to this because it's absolutely ludicrous to <laughs> agree to something like this. But I feel like Richter sort of sees this as the only way out, while also being you know um, not o- overtly convinced <laughs> mm. uh, about the politics that he is. Um, you know, practically doing in his day-to-day mm. life. Um, so I think that would ne- that was needed because otherwise I, I feel like this is just ridiculous, honestly. That whole setup um, in me, uh, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, it's a little bit contrived, I think. Mm. Um, but they are so darn focused on, on getting this sabotage theory out there and the yeah. whole... Well, by now I would say it's a conspiracy theory that yeah. Hindenburg blew up due to a bomb or due to sabotage. I mean, it's it not, is, yeah. It is an accident, right? Like, that's what yes. I've gathered from the whole thing. Like, it's just, you, you don't want hydrogen big ass balloons in the air where, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when you're yeah. dealing with things like metal and electricity <laughs> and, and other things, you know. It uh, it did take a long time to figure out exactly what happened, uh, and I'm not even sure today that we know 100% what happened. We just have like one theory that is more likely than the others, and it has to do with like static electricity and yeah. similar things. Um, but at the time, you know, in '37, there there were certainly more theories out there and sabotage was one that was considered and at the time considered likely uh, in 75 when this movie was made I think that theory had pretty much been discounted you know it's Mm. due to 
everything we have learned of the accident since 1937, that theory sort of seems more and, or, or seems less and less likely. So it's not the most widely accepted theory for what happened. Mm. Um, so, but th- this movie is. <laughs> They they really liked that theory when they made this movie. They was like, yes, that's the one we want to do. <laughs> and and I suppose you know if you're gonna do a movie about the Hindenburg disaster, because the Hindenburg, the actual disaster, the accidents, it was over in like well thirty seconds. I would. I mean, say, yeah, I think it was like a minute or something. That, yeah, that exactly. Just went like up like it's a, caught. It caught fire and then it, it went whoosh and it was gone. And yes, there was some rescue work afterwards, but that's a not not a lot of material to make a movie out. No. I mean, the Titanic, when the Titanic sunk, it took two hours. That's a little bit more material to yeah. make a dramatic movie out of. <laughs> so if you're going to do a movie about the Hindenburg disaster, you do kind of need something else to drive the tensions, to sort of yes. drive... The questions of the movie, like, oh, what's going to happen here? And what's this? And what's this secret? And what's this character doing? You know, all of that. You kind of need more of that. So it makes sense that you would put this theory, this conspiracy theory in the movie. That, oh, it's probably sabotage. And, oh, what's this guy? He's hiding something. You know, that's kind of interesting to figure out. It's a a whodunit story. Or who's gonna do it, (laughs) I suppose. So it makes sense. But... I still kind of feel like I personally don't care much for the sabotage theory, either in reality or in the movie. Like, I didn't feel like it was that interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the problem is for me when I was watching it is that I um, I didn't like when things unraveled and it became clear that Carl Berth was uh, the man who was planting a bomb and, and planning this whole thing. I just lost interest in the thing for, because up till then there was a, a few threads here and there and it was kind of like a spy thriller almost like mm. figuring, p- p- placing the puzzle pieces and, and, and that was uh, I thought that was interesting. I do think the characters was distinct and and so it, it, it gave me that sort of feeling which I thought was interesting. However when we figured out that it was Carl, I was like, okay, I, I don't know if I'm massively invested anymore in the, in, mm. in that. Uh, because it, it just sounds like, like I said before, like it's it's kind of, um, I mean, I used the word ridiculous to describe how, <laughs> why Ritter would agree to it, but ridiculous as a sort of plan, as a sabotage plan, I also feel it is. Because how on earth are you going to go on this ship with a plan to bomb the plane um the ship when it's in the hangar and you don't have a time schedule i just it's bizarre that you would make plan something like that Mm. like oh hey let's rob the bank today yeah let's do it and then you show up on different times it's like it's it's, it would be like the same weird thing where you don't you don't set It's just weird that he had to ask him for time. It's, it's like what? What? Who made this plan? It's just frustrating <laughs> when, when I think about it. I don't. I don't know how to explain myself. But, um, but I do think, like, regardless of like how interesting you may have found um, the pl- the the sabotage and everything, I do think it was uh, well acted. I do think it was um, distinct enough characters, apart from the few that I did like, sort of. Uh, 
mix up together because of names and faces that look the same but whatever it's fine um and i also really enjoyed that even though i mean this film to me it has a sort of a flat feeling once they're in the airship things start looking flat and that was a shame because before and also when we have the whole entire catastrophe i it's it's a very i don't know if lush is the right word but it's very I, I really enjoyed the before when they were boarding mm. the plane and everything. And I also liked that they really seemed to have tried to make the interiors correct. Like they really spent their time not flourishing it, like really presenting it and making it seem um, like the original. Mm. However, uh, then I think you would have needed to do some more things with lighting, lightning perhaps, because it's just it just comes off as gray and flat, unfortunately including yes. people it's just something to do with the lightning and lighting and things um in my opinion I don't know if yes you agree. I, I i do get what you're saying i think mm. when we are on board the ship well, the most quote-unquote beautiful scenes are the ones that are in the ship's interior we mm. have these sort of almost triangular shaped corridors for lack of a better word it's like they're walking on the be- the, the metal beams etc yeah. and they have sort of uh, other metal beams that go out and it's at one point you see Ritter sort of framed in this triangle of metal mm. beams and he's in shadow and there's light behind and it's it looks really nice it looks really nice but then when you're in the other parts of the ship where the passengers yeah. are eh, eh I mean it's it's not as luxurious as i was expecting hindenburg to be i no. think because 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 as far as i understand it it was really expensive to go on the hindenburg yeah. so yeah uh, i would expect I mean, more i think for the time i it's probably a very like modern interior for the time and i think mm. they were really in, in, in like that era when we are like scaling things down using clean lines and everything so it looks it was probably very modern and and cool to the contemporary like eyes mm. um but it does come off unfortunately in the film as rather drab mm. uh which you which you could have fixed with certain things to just make it look more appealing and maybe us understanding like why on earth would you want to go <laughs> on this thing <laughs> um you know <laughs> so um yeah uh then I mean, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I don't, I don't know how interesting it is to speak about some of the actors' individual plots. Maybe we got into it, but I really want to talk about the ending. Yeah, I see your face here, like <laughs> because we can see each other's faces, but of course, the audience, you can't. Uh, and Linnea made it kind of clear that she's not super interested in the individual people's either. What I will say is that it does create a human background to the victims and why we want mm. them to get off this ship because even though Vogel is probably the one that you feel is kind of like oh I really don't like that character for the most part these are just people mm. and some of them happen to be Nazis which is a weird <laughs> thing to say but you understand what I'm saying like totally mm. villainizing something like that isn't really um, maybe the lesson we want to have in this situation <laughs> you know what mm. I mean um, and so when we come to the ending, I think the film does something that uh, was rather interesting, an interesting take. And that is at the moment of the explosion, the film turns black and white. 
Mm. And then the film starts co- incorporating uh, archival footage from the actual disaster, like that the, that the um, cameras were able to capture uh, yeah. the day of. And I thought that was really gripping and dramatic and really... I mean, it made me like really so invested in what was happening and like really got this sort of the shock to me as an mm. audience. I feel like mm. at least. Mm. I don't know how, how you feel about that choice. No, I think incorporating footage of a real accident, if you're doing a disaster film based on a real accident, it's sort of a, a you have to walk on a balance there. Yes. Because if it's a newer or disaster, something closer in time, you sort of have to, to really do it tactfully. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if you do it and if you do it well, it has real emotional impact when watching yeah. the film. And I think that's the case here. I think by 1975, when the movie is made, we are so removed from the real accident that we don't really feel a personal connection to it. Far uh, enough, as, at least. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, far enough. Um, but we still get that... That, that that emotion of seeing it actually yeah. happen, you know, that always remains. Uh, and I think that's really powerful. And it's something that I haven't really seen a lot of disaster films do. I, I can think of one other, but I don't remember the name of it now. Ah. But it was it was a TV film based on an airplane accident okay. that I know did use uh, the real footage. But that's yeah. that's the only other example. I... I don't i i don't remember if i've seen it or if i have seen it and i just didn't pick up that that was the case mm. what's more usual i feel like is almost which is also like something you could certainly discuss is when people when people when filmmakers use sort of images of war famine disasters from various countries around the world mm. and they sort of use it to spice up their like usually the beginning of a film, like with the with titles and everything scrolling by, and mm. or in the middle also when they're like using it as news reporting, and exactly. it's yeah. it's all I've always found it a little bit jarring to be honest. Like there's something just a little bit weird about that, but I I get why you do it. I mean, and and it's budget. Let's be real, it's budget reasons, but it's also always a little bit weird. <laughs> It can feel, and I'm not saying that it always does, but it can feel a little bit like emotional blackmail, I think. What do you Uh, mean by that? I mean, sort of, um, if you have a movie, say a war movie or or whatever, that has a very clear sort of um, political message Mm. or something like that, and and you get sort of these, oh, look at the starving kids in Africa. And and it's sort Mm. of like... Yes, I feel really sorry for the starving kids in Africa, but it's sort of, it's painting a very distinct picture Mm. and you can sort of feel like, ooh, you're trying, (laughs) trying very hard with this. And uh, it it feels like, yes, your, your thought is good. (laughs) But the execution (laughs) is... But the execution is, oh, yeah. Tricky. Um... 
questionable, I, maybe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lacks nuance, maybe, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and like I said, I'm not saying this is always the case. I'm just saying no, no, that no. sometimes it can be yes. like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, let's always, whenever we say something, let's keep in mind that this is, this is, everything is, is in context. Everything has different mm. perspectives, you know. Um, but so in this case, in, in Hindenburg, I, I feel like the ending and everything, I thought it was well done and I thought it was, it didn't feel tacky. It didn't feel respect, um, disrespectful, Mm. but now I feel like we sort of might slip into the whole, um, birth situation and how portrayal of people that were actually on the plane might be a bit insensitive because, for example, Vogel is pictured as like an initially like a complex character, but mm. definitely very convinced of, you know, Nazi Germany torturing people. Very <laughs> pro those things. <laughs> and that's <Yep>. bad. <laughs> um, I don't know how much historical evidence we have to back that up in this film. Probably records before about this person, like what his job was and what he did and everything but it's still like like if if what i take with me from vogel as a character is very nazi torturer <laughs> and like that could be problematic if that's not the actual case you know i'm just like yeah i'm using yeah. vogel as example i have no idea how he behaved before this like no idea i'm just like using him as example also birth this film is basically saying that Birth was not a convinced Nazi and was uh, pro like democracy and like bringing the Nazi party down, basically. So mm. sabotaging uh, something like this and putting people at risk, willing to do that. And that is also, you know, not a very neutral thing to put out there. Mm. <laughs> I have no idea about Bert's previous record or anything. Uh, in the movie, they say that it was a Hitler Jugend and or leader for the Hitler Jugend and things like that. So that would assume being like kind of into that ideology as well. Um, but how do you, how do you feel about this? Like when films in general, like in this specific, of course, but in films in general, I feel like that could be an interesting just like conversation, really. As it's done so often in films. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> as we sort of touched upon, I don't think that the characters in the movie are extremely well-developed always. Mm. Uh, and Vogel and Burroughs are, are sort of the two... <laughs> the, the two examples at the end of the spectrum here. You know, mm. one is very... Yeah dedicated to his cause and the other one is very dedicated to his cause and they happen to be opposite things um and it does create the drama in the film but it also sort of i don't know it's it makes them less human or it makes them less feel less real to Mm, some extent And I don't know to what extent these characters are based on on real people. Um, So there's also sort of that, considering this is a real accident, you know, do you want to sort of portray 
the, the the people on board Hindenburg and maybe the people who died on board the Hindenburg as these almost fanatics, etc. You know, that's sort of a... It's a complex issue and I don't think that... I don't think the movie does it bad or poorly, but it doesn't maybe give it the nuance or the depth mm. or the complexity that it actually maybe deserved. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. That's that's a good input. Um, yeah, I don't know if these were real people, like based on real people or not. I got the I impression that they were, but you know, I don't. The, um... There was one guy who had his family with him, two boys, a young girl and, and his wife. I don't know if the names were the same, but I'm pretty sure that they were based on a real mm. family that were on board the Hindenburg mm. and where only parts of the family survived because mm. I think there there are witness accounts from them from the surviving family members mm. that exist. So I think they at least partly was based on real characters, mm. but the other ones I can't say. Mm. Um, like Anne Bancroft's character, the, the Countess. She's never named, she's called, she's called a yeah. Countess. Yeah, like, was she cute. a real person? I have no idea. No idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I was happy that she survived and reunited with her daughter. That was yes, very sweet. That yes. was very sweet. That was very sweet. And, and, and honestly... You mentioned their family, and I, by the end, by that cassette, catastrophe, when it was happening, I'd pretty much forgotten about them. But I was happy to see that the two twin boys survived, but I had forgotten about them by then. <laughs> because they were just like, they were a minor thing in the beginning. They, they did have like names, and, and they were also part of like the Ritters sort of trying to figure out who might be mm. a saboteur here or not. So, mm. uh, But by the end of it, I'd almost forgotten them, honestly. Yeah. Um, I want to bring up yeah. the, the character that I sent you an image of <laughs> and said that I didn't like. Yeah. And, and I would like to hear your thoughts on this character. Uh, his last name was Spa, Spa, John Spa, Joe Spa? Spa, yeah, something. Joe, something yeah, like Joe that. Spa, I think. Artistic circus person. <laughs> Basically, like he painted, he sang, he he made very very artistic yeah. person, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but also highly annoying, <laughs> and also like even suspecting that he would be the person to sort of pull this off because Ritter suspects him for a little while mm. is mm. just also kind of funny to me because he's too over the top, he's too obvious. Like yeah. there's no way you you would send this man on a mission like this. <laughs> Like, oh no way. Um, yeah. And he also wasn't funny. There was this no. scene. Do you, you remember the piano scene when yes. one of the other uh, passengers is a, a pianist? So he plays the piano and he sings and he's off for a, a tour, I, I believe it was, in, in America. And they hit it off and decide to sort of he, him playing and, and singing and then this spa spa person is that what we decided it was yeah. called spa yeah. yo, yo, spa. The, yo spa is singing and dancing to it and i think it's supposed to be funny but it's just what's happening it's <laughs> like, not who's... funny at all and i i would never ever and i'm sure i'm sure things like this happen but i would not dare to be that concert person up in the air on a plane full of military and, and Nazi people and, mo and making a mockery of Hitler like that. <laughs> I would not dare. 
um, to do that because they could take my passport because we figured out later on that um, the Anne Ban the the, com- the countess person she her passport was seized so I just like oh it's a bit much. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, maybe it's supposed to be a thing where, like, oh, well, people didn't really weren't so nervous, maybe at this time yet. Mm. But I just, I was weird, and it wasn't funny. It was just make it stop, basically. Yeah, it was. Oh my god, I hated that scene so much. Yeah, because he's, you know, he he's introduced as a circus person. So yeah, I, I expected him to be. The comic relief and to yeah, do outgoing. this sort of silly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, but when <laughs> the other guy is playing the piano and he's sort of doing this theatrics and and uh, using, I don't know, he puts on a fake mustache and everything, and it's it's so far removed from being funny. I don't even, yeah. I can't, I, oh, I just, it's... I. I that, that's the point where I sent you the picture. I took a yeah. picture of the screen and I sent it to you. And I was like, this is the worst comic relief ever. Yeah, because like, do you understand that scene? I don't, I no. like, I don't no. know what I'm supposed to get out of it. No. Um, and in the end... Is, the film, is yeah. the film nervous about us thinking that they are pro-Nazi or something? That they just had to really make sure that they made fun of Hitler so we understand that they're not pro-Nazi? Is that know. the times or did they think it was funny or did they think it was unnerving? Because it wasn't, I wasn't really nervous either because they, they then some, uh, n- what do you call it? Like the, the staff person or mm. pe- people who were obviously very, very Nazi, like very pro that. And, and they, mm. they got up, but it didn't feel intimidating. They just really no. pissed, but it wasn't intimidating. So I was like. So nothing happens to him after this either. So like, I don't... What do you want me to feel? Film? <laughs> and and the <laughs> thing is, in, in the end there, I think it's either the captain or one of the other crew members on board who does go up to the pianist yeah. uh, and sort of say, stop, this is not our kind of humor. You gotta stop this nonsense. And then Joe Spa, he has this sort of white blanket or something that he's been playing around with. Oh yeah. He right. just sort of starts screaming and run out of the room and I'm just like, where did that come from and what happened? Yeah. I don't And no one goes after him, so it he no, was I, no. it's, it's just like And it's not like it's not like he was screaming in fear. I need to, no, to no, sort no. of clarify that. He was just sort of screaming comically, like ah and then going and and it's just like why I don't why? get it. I don't get it. I is weird. One of the weirder scenes, just because I don't know what. what, I'm just like I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) So strange. Yeah. How do you feel about? uh, Okay, so I'm really skipping between things here. But how do you feel about the the music, the soundtrack? Was that ever something that you thought about, or? No, not really. I mean, I. I didn't think that uh, the piano piece that they were playing in that <laughs> scene was particularly good. Boring. I was just like, how is this a well-known pia- pianist? I don't get it. It's not that great. But anyway. <laughs> You're being a bit rude and I love it because I was also like, it's, he, he gets a tour in America for this? I was like, maybe I'm rude. or Maybe the, the, the expectations were lower, but it wasn't, it wasn't great. <laughs> no, it wasn't great. Um, and otherwise, I didn't. I can't say that I 
notice the soundtrack much. Uh, I mean, more sort of the soundscape that I noticed was uh, when you had when you you could hear the the sort of machinery, the droning yeah. Yeah. noise the engine, from the machinery yeah. in the ship, and how. Uh, that sort of when they were standing next to a window or something or talking, mm. and you can hear that in the background. And it was both, it was partly annoying, but also sort of partly atmospheric and sort of setting uh, the mood in a way that I kind of liked, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I liked it too. I mean, I think I forgot about it after a while, but I also, I, I find it. Um... I don't know if impressive is the right word, really, but I'm going with it. When filmmakers do include the sort of noise that airplanes make, or airships Mm. in this uh, instance, because it's it's noisy. So when it's like one of those films where it's completely quiet in the cabin, and it's like, no, (laughs) you're strapped onto two engines here, and it's rumbling. Uh, It just makes it seem... Uh, like a sense of full security almost when there's no noise it's like well what the hell <laughs> where are we <laughs> so i i i agree with you that that's that was a nice touch uh, but might be annoying for some people mm. yeah yeah um i do think but this is more to do with the time i feel like because a lot of films from 70s 80s and and back when I think there was something with the microphones when they made films that picks up sound in weird ways. So barking, for example, I was really thinking about it when there was a couple of dogs that barked. And that it's it's weirdly muffled while steps, like footsteps, in mm. the same scene might have, I don't remember that, but just as an example, might have sounded clearer and sharper while the barking was sort of muffled. And it's just... It's just something weird with films of this era and later where sounds just more sounds than should have are picked up in the microphones, basically. Mm, mm. I don't know if that's something you've thought about or... I I do get what, what yeah, you're talking yeah. about. Uh, it's not something I spent a lot of time thinking about and I don't really know enough about the technical yeah. details of movie making to really say how or why that is. Um, but yeah, I think especially like movies from the 70s, I think yeah. are, are, uh, there's a lot of that. Um, like there's just something off with the sound balance. Something, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I actually... Um, uh, I actually started watching this movie uh, on another s- streaming site first because I mm. couldn't access the one that we were planning on watching it on. Mm. Uh, and it was really poor quality and I couldn't hear anything. And I was just like, oh, no, I need to find a better mm. version. So <laughs> I had to ask my flatmates who helped me log into to, uh, the one we were using. So. <laughs> nice flatmates. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it was much better, but it was yeah. still this sort of... Uh, like, yes, I can tell the sound and the audio has been sort of remastered, but there is still some of that sort of... Ooh. There is some kind of almost background noise in the voices. Yes. Uh, I can't just, quite put my finger on it. It's, but not, yeah. it's not clear in the same way that we would 
expect sound to be clear now mm. when we go to the films like when it's well like it's when a big budget well produced film like we we mm. expect the sound to be it's almost more like when you when it's a really low budget or in the film like or i should just say low budget because in the films using that term makes no sense uh, as a swedish person really speaking english and mostly watching american films because indie films in in america like hollywood indie films cost i feel like as much as regular films in sweden do so that term is kind of weird to me in that sense but anyway tangent 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 um so the sound this is the first film i've thought about it it won't be the last film i encounter this sort of soundscape let's say Mm -hmm. Uh, and and really I even even when films have been remastered and everything impossible done to them they still have this sort of sound thing going on and uh, I was watching I know I wrote to you about that but I was watching Blade Runner in cinema uh, like the original first Blade Runner film in cinema Mm -hmm. and that was the like the latest Ridley Scott version, everything HD, everything wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It looked fantastic. It was a good experience and everything. But even then, the sound still has that slightly muddled, more mm. things in the environment is picked up than might have been wanted. So it's just, mm. it's just, it's something I would like to just sort of investigate a little bit to learn. <laughs> just like, what about the technology? Or the use of technology back then made that. Because I know, I mean, microphones were good back then, right? So there's just something to it that, yeah, whatever. (laughs) I guess I'm using this film to discuss this phenomenon. (laughs) And it just happens to be Hindenburg. It's not specifically this film. Uh, Don't be deterred because of that. Uh, We we might have to get back to that topic some other time. Yeah. We found another yeah. movie with the same effect. Yeah, where we're like really, where we really focus on it. And it's like, what is? Why is that? <laughs> yeah. There was another thing that I, I just sort of popped into my head mm. now uh, as we were talking, which there, there's a, a line that one of the characters says in the movie that I I didn't understand it. So oh. they are at one point sort of flying through. A little bit of a rough weather, mm. and they get this uh, Saint Elmo's fire uh, effects that travels along the yeah. ship, or that that is visible, and it sort of scares some of the passengers. They get a little bit worried because oh, man, I it looks strange. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It looks strange. Yeah, um, and I think one of the characters, was one of the women, says something like should have gone on the Titanic or, or something of that nature. And I was just like, why? What? No? Thank Wait. you. I have no idea what she was. I, I remember I remember that line because when she said it, I was like, is she joking? Is this yeah. a weird reference to something? Uh, what does she mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't get no it idea. I, I would have understood it if she says she said something like we should have gone on an ocean liner or something just yes. an unnamed one yeah uh but, <laughs> titanic, but titanic one it is like 20 years before the hindenburg disaster yeah. so like this is old news titanic is old news by this point <sighs> and just well i mean both are i mean she's saying that because things are happening that she finds kind of disturbing and she's worried about the hindenburg but titanic also sank so i don't know it was yeah <sighs> 
Right. And like imagine <laughs> sitting in an airplane or something and, and yeah. a minor thing has happened that scared you a bit. Like may, let's yeah. call it turbulence or something. Yeah. And then you go, oh, we should have gone with, I'm trying to th- think of something. Costa Concordia. Yeah, I sh- we should have gone with Costa Concordia instead. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that would yeah, be the exactly. weirdest thing to say. Like, <laughs> like the person traveling with that person would just be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Should I be worried? Um, it was bizarre. And I'm so happy that you brought it up because I remember reacting to that. And I was like, what? Funny uh, thing is, though, because uh, I'm I'm actually a little bit of a nerd when it comes to like old ocean liners. So when she said that, I was like, no, in, in 1937, you would have gone on the Queen Mary instead. And then later in the movie, Queen Mary turns up and I was just like, yes. yes. You're like, yes, I know. That, you knew this, writers. You could have used it <laughs> if that was the thing you wanted to use. <laughs> bizarre. Bizarre, really. Very bizarre, yeah. Do you think... Do you think... Um, a modern day, like a contemporary big budget filmatization of the Hindenburg catastrophe would be better or worse or 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 have a different take or something. Do, do you think it would be time for that, basically? I don't know. General, I guess. I don't know. I mean, it's for, for specifically the Hindenburg disaster, sort of as... I touched upon earlier mm. it's very hard to make a disaster film about the disaster that took 30 seconds to happen you yeah. know it's how do you how do you do that and make it really exciting and I mean in this movie they went with a sabotage theory but I kind of feel like if we were to do it today we would need to have another spin on it yeah uh, I would maybe I wouldn't maybe do it a movie I would more make it a docudrama like a documentary Ah, but with a lot of dramatizations yeah yeah. Um, but like the good kind of dramatization exactly exactly Um, I mean I've seen oh I don't remember what it's called right now but I saw one such film for the Titanic disaster Mm. where they had like short pieces of narration but then they also had like full scenes acted out and it it did make yeah it did make it a, a pretty good experience i think watching it mm. very in- interesting and also fun in the way that movies fictional mm. sort of movies are fun so i think they could do something like that yeah yeah i agree i i agree with you because it is it really feels difficult to make a film out of this disaster and this one works for what it does I mean, I think it was a, a good film. Uh, it made me think about some things, which is always nice. Um, but you couldn't do this plotline again, and I don't think you should. No. Because I, from what we can tell, it, it, it was a dis- a, just an accident. Mm. Ter- really a horrible accident. Um, so I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think it would really work that well. And... Yeah, there are probably other accidents that you could, or disasters that you could do an interesting dramatization of. Uh, and also, I I honestly think there are not enough disaster films that are not 
based on real accidents. Mm. Like we have we have the Hindenburg, we have mm. Titanic, we have a whole bunch of other ones that are based on oh this accident from the 30s, or this one from the 50s, or this one from 10 years ago. You know all of these. You know mm. 9/11. There's movies about, and I get why you would want to make movies on those, but I also kind of feel like. You can make a really good fictional one also. Yes. Let that creativity flow and don't be don't be locked in by a real accident and sort of the framework that that creates. Because exactly. here you have you have the Hindenburg and you had a certain number of people died and a certain number of people survived and you sort of have to have that same ratio in the yeah. movie. Yeah. You know. But if you have a fictional one, um you can play around as much as you like with, with yeah, that. So, definitely. Yeah, I, think. Um, I hope I remember it correctly, but there was a film called Poseidon. Mm. I mean, there's two versions. I know that there is one maybe from the 70s or 80s or something. And then there was a new yes. one with Kirk Russell somewhere along 2004, I want to say, 2005. Um, I mean, it's been many years since, and I'm sure it's been perceived as garbage in hindsight <laughs> <laughs> but i know i've seen that film at least two or three times just because of television schedules you know and it's like, oh i'll watch the boat sink one more time i guess <laughs> but that one is completely fictionalized i believe yes. and and that works really well because they do some really <clears throat> weird things in that like going through elevator shafts and the whole boat is upside down and things and it just makes it super dramatic and 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 fun but also of course you know gripping and dramatic uh but you don't you can't be spoiled beforehand and you can also sort of relax the part of your brain like for example watching now the hindenburg and you think like oh these are actual people and like that father he really died and it's just like kind of horrible and that really it's that's kind of what stays with you when you're watching it like oh this is so sad (laughs) while watching Poseidon then it's just like yeah it's of course it's sad because characters are dying and it's dramatic and horrible that way but it's not you can sort of shut the part of your brain that is just like oh this is heartbreaking you can lower that Mm. (laughs) sensometer a bit which I think is also good to sort of just piggyback on what you were saying like maybe fictionalized disasters are can be a bit more rewarding in some senses because of that yeah yeah but then there also is and i'm gonna recommend a podcast here which i know i've made you listen to yes and uh, i've listened to many many episodes by now yes <laughs> <laughs> it is a podcast about uh air crash accidents and it's called take to the sky the air disaster podcast and they mm. did an episode on the hindenburg uh, oh, they among did. others I listen to that one i should yeah yeah, yeah. i, I it's, it's, I think, one of their older ones, maybe. But yeah, yeah they, it almost sounds it. like it's way it's too old for their sort of style. But I haven't gone that far back in their catalog, I guess. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's probably the oldest one they have, or maybe mm. second oldest or something. Mm. But yeah, uh, they did an episode on that. But they also did an episode on, on another uh, air crash accident that they they remarked on uh, that should be made into a movie, and I agreed. Mm. And I think. I'm looking at like my my 
books to read here because I had yeah. a book about it. I think it's the one uh, about the ditching of uh, a plane called The Flying Tiger 923. I know which one you talk about. Yes, yes I've yes. listened to that. And that was a two-parter, I believe. Yes. And yes, that's the I one with so the too. boats. Like the... the, the um, yeah, they they're ditched in... The ocean. in, in yeah, exactly. Yeah. They ditch in the Atlantic yes. Ocean, ditch and there were um, quite a lot of survivors, but they had to struggle quite a f- quite a long time mm-hmm. out in the ocean before they got rescued. That was Y'all. really dramatic. That <laughs> one. If you're gonna make one into a film, <laughs> and it involves airplanes, yes, that one would be it. Yeah, uh, and I think that there's a lot uh, enough. Um, eyewitness things and like you know where you don't have to sort of make the stories about people up or like how they behaved and everything Mm -hmm. like you can make an accurate portrayal and it will definitely be dramatic enough for a film like and i mean this one yeah that accident unlike the hindenburg that one has a lot of material to work with because you have the 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 flight itself and the yes. problems and the decision to ditch in the ocean and then mm. the actual ditching and then the evacuation and mm-hmm. then the wait for rescue and then the mm-hmm. rescue itself like there's just a lot to work yes. with a lot of dramatic scenes to work with here come on <laughs> it's it's that one is so gripping yes uh, i mean even like to just listen to their episode about it but because that the way they're telling it as well it just makes it really really interesting but that one would definitely make for a great film mm. uh, and really highlight the importance of like security and like, <laughs> also, you know all these things that are good to maybe have in the back of your head yes, <laughs> and keeping <yes>. calm <laughs> listening to instructions all these things <laughs> yeah definitely yeah that one i would like to see as a movie but I'm, I, I haven't heard of a movie in the making of that one, so I have to waste it. Me neither. Yeah. yeah. We're going to yeah. get like three new versions of the Titanic disaster on film before that happens, Prob- I guess. Oh, just three? <laughs> <laughs> three, three? Three to five new, ver- new, new, new Titanic dramatizations and also maybe five uh, special editions of the <laughs> yes. James Cameron version. So... <laughs> But yeah, Hindenburg, do, do we have anything else that we want to talk about? Because I personally feel like we've talked about the things that I wanted to talk about when it came to yeah, this film. Yeah, same, same. Yeah. I think we, we covered everything, or most yeah. of the things that there is to cover yeah. about this film. Um, I, to summarize, you know, now we've, we've talked and everything about it, I, I feel like it's a film worth the watch if this is a type of film that you enjoy uh, or find interesting. It isn't perfect, but it is good, and it has a very dramatic uh, ending of mm. the of the disaster itself. An interesting take on it, um, while not being being far from perfect. <laughs> this film, that's just like <laughs> yes, yes. Put it like that. I think yeah. that's my conclusion as well. Yeah, it's not a great film, but I think no. it it managed to be a good film, and yeah. I think whatever flaws I think it has, sort of like the characters as I mentioned that maybe are not the strongest characters I think the main sort of the main beats of the film mm. the main parts that I want the Hindenburg film to have I think this one does well mm. such as the actual accident the actual um, blowing up of the ship I think that yeah. part needs to be done well in a Hindenburg film and I think Definitely. this one does it so uh, it, it's uh, it ticks the the most important boxes, at least. Yeah. 
So, listener, have you seen Hindenburg from 1975, or uh, do you just want to chat with us a little bit? You can reach out to us at starcrashpodcast at gmail.com. Starcrashpodcast is all one word there. And, uh, yeah, just let us know if you have anything to say. And uh, otherwise, we'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye.